Hey there, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. You're here with Matt Para, and this is Sabbath School Commentary in the North New South Wales Conference. Our lesson this week is awesome. I'm super excited to be able to spend some time with you talking about this week's lesson, which is entitled Prayer Power, Interceding for Others. I want to have a word of prayer to just get into things that that would be appropriate, especially in the light of the fact that the lesson this week is entitled Prayer Power, Interceding for Others. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to spend some time together. Thank you so much for your word that's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Please increase our faith. You say in your word, Romans chapter 10, faith in verse 17 comes by hearing and hearing through the words of God. May we hear the words of God and may we have ears to hear, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, Jesus addresses his disciples just prior to leaving planet Earth. And he says, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Now, Jesus is saying to this small group of men and women, I am assigning you the responsibility. I am giving you the task. I am laying on you the burden for the lost to go out and preach and to teach and to make disciples and to baptize in my name. Now that's a big ask. That is a big challenge. These men and women had been with Jesus for a significant amount of time, teaching with him, preaching with him, learning from him, being trained by him. Yes, it's true, but still being assigned the task of going and making disciples of all nations, teaching all nations, baptizing people from all nations, that's a big deal. That's a big challenge. And so, if you were a disciple hearing Jesus, you would definitely understand that you needed God's power in your life. You needed God's power in your ministry. You definitely needed Holy Spirit power and God's uh, power given to you. The lesson points our attention to uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. And I want to read you this verse real quick. It says, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, as I said, if you're a disciple and you're tasked with the responsibility of teaching all nations, you would definitely feel your need of prayer. And here you see the disciples are praying, then they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they go and speak with boldness. You see a pattern here. You see a course of events. Number one, they're praying because they see their need, their deep need. Number two, they're filled with the Spirit. Number three, they speak boldly. We see the same thing in Acts chapter 2. They're all in one place and in one accord. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon them. There was a mighty rushing sound of wind. And then there was uh, 
cloven tongues as a fire that settled upon them. And then they all spoke with other tongues or in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And Peter stands up and boldly preaches a prophetically inspired message about Jesus Christ calling people to repentance in His name. The lesson with these verses, with this information, sets the stage for all the things we want to consider in God's Word this week. So, just want to recap real quickly. Gospel Commission, disciples feel their great need of prayer. They pray, are filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak boldly and God works on their behalf. We want to speak boldly, speak powerfully. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be people of prayer. We will pray more when we recognize and realize our need of prayer more. If we were to take personal responsibility for the gospel commission, for the gospel call, then we would feel a great need to pray, and therefore we would pray. If we don't take responsibility for the gospel commission, well then we won't really see to the same degree, to the same extent, our need of prayer. The apostles realized and recognized that they didn't just need to pray for themselves, they needed to pray for the world around them because Jesus gave them the commission to go and teach. It's an interesting too, um, I'll just make a comment or two on the Great Commission. He says, Jesus says, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Now, if Jesus has all power, well then it makes a lot of sense that we should be praying to him, that he would guide us and strengthen us because he has all power. And then he says, go preach to all nations, not just some, not just a few, but preach globally to all people because I love all people. I care for all people. I've made all people. I died for all people. And I'm interceding on behalf of all people. And so go teach all nations. Go make disciples of all nations. And then he goes on to say, we should teach all things, not just some things, not just select things, not just what people want to hear, but teach all things, all that Scripture has to communicate to mankind. God loves people, God cares for people, and God tells people what they need to hear. God doesn't just tell people what they want to hear. Now, we can, we can be loved, we can be liked if we tell people what they want to hear. There are truths in Scripture that uh, are flattering, are um, encouraging. There are uh, truths in Scripture that, that just make people feel good. But then there are truths in Scripture, there are truths uh, that people find offensive, that people find unattractive, or they don't like them, they're unpalatable, they're uh, not politically correct. And uh, But the Bible doesn't say, preach what's politically correct so that a secular fallen world can like you and, and praise you. It says, teach all things whatsoever I have commanded you. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, correction and reproof and instruction in righteousness. And so we are commissioned by Jesus to teach all things to the world. And we need all power if we're going to do that, that's for sure. Uh, and then it says, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Jesus is always with us. Always with us. That isn't unless we don't want him with us. Unless we refuse his presence in our lives. And so we can take heart. We can take courage. Jesus is always with us in this monumental task that he has assigned to us. Did you ever stop and think that perhaps Jesus commissioned us, the church, the body of Christ, to reach the world, because in doing so, it would 
Help us to realize our great need of Him in a way that we otherwise couldn't, and therefore we would seek God. Now, I have said in many sermons at many times that we seek God to the degree that we think we need Him, to the degree that we need Him. Now, if I'm tasked with the responsibility of winning the world, of preaching the gospel to the world, now, to teach all nations, well, then I'm going I'm to definitely see my need of prayer. And so there's a correlation here between accepting the commission and seeing your need. And if you see your need, you pray. You pray for real. And, and then you're filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is the consequence. And you speak with holy boldness. And you make a difference in the world. Now, Sunday's lesson is entitled, A Cosmic Struggle. And the texts of Scripture that are referenced are Revelation 12, 7 through 9, Ephesians 6, 12, and 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. Revelation 12, 7 through 9 is that great apocalyptic uh, vision of John in Revelation chapter 12. And the section there in verses 7 through 9 is where John sees war in heaven. And he says, Michael and his angels fight with the dragon. And the dragon fights, but does not prevail along with his angels. And the Bible says there is no longer a place found for them in heaven, and they are cast down to the earth, the devil and his angels, and they deceive the whole world, the Bible says. And so the lesson points us to the grand or the great controversy between good and evil, between Christ and Satan, between those loyal to God and his throne, and to those unloyal to God in his throne. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 talks about how we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against uh, spiritual powers, spiritual forces, spiritual wickedness in high places, in heavenly places. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 then concludes with this statement. Actually, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Verse 4 then says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful, for the destruction of fortresses. And so the spiritually minded Christian realizes that we are in a spiritual battle and therefore we need spiritual weapons to deal with what we're dealing with. There is a controversy between God and Satan and in the center of that controversy is the human race, a fallen race who Jesus paid a ransom for and is being testified of in due time, and who says uh, to the world, uh, the Spirit and the Bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. So Jesus dies for all, and he offers all the opportunity to come. But now God honors free will, so people can choose, or they can choose not to come. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's an invitation to the whole world because everyone is laboring and everyone is heavy laden under the burden, under the weight of sin and self and Satan. We're all oppressed here. Jesus says in John 8, he that sins is a slave of sin. This, therefore, we all who have fallen short of the glory of God and sin, we're all oppressed. We're all heavy laden. And so Jesus says, if you're heavy laden, if you're oppressed, if you're burdened, that's if you're a human, come to me, come to me, and I'll relieve you. I'll free you. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But people don't have to choose to come. 
God honors free will. If he did not honor free will, he would be stealing from us our humanity. Being made in the image of God means made with the ability to choose. God is a free-willed moral being. God can choose. Well, if we're made in his image, we can choose. And God doesn't take that from us. Slaves, Slaves can't choose. Automaton can't choose. But human beings made in the image of God can choose. And so the invitation goes out to all, but all are not going to choose. And so God respects free will. Now, God respecting Joe's free will, who is choosing to resist the Spirit, and who may be grieving the Spirit, okay, God will honor his free will, but he'll also honor mine. And so if I pray for John, who's grieving the Spirit, who's resisting the Spirit, then God will do what he otherwise wouldn't do, right? Because he can honor my will. And in continuing to pour out his spirit on John, in continuing to work in different ways on John's behalf, you see, there, there's, a, there's a matrix of free will that God is operating from within, not because he has to, but because that's who he is as a person. And he violates no person's free will. He's not into coercion. He's not into, into force, forcing uh, people like dictators do. But he's a God of love. And love begets love. Like begets, you know, like attracts like. We love God because he first loved us. We don't love God because he forces us to or because he's programmed us to or because he's determined some people to love him and some people to not. We love God because he first loved us. This indicates that, that mankind has free will and therefore our prayers can make a difference. Our prayers do make a difference. It's a spiritual tool that we can use in this great controversy where people have been given free will. There is this really cool Ellen White quote in the, in the lesson uh, for Sunday. It says, uh, this is from The Great Controversy, page 525. Listen to this. It says, It is a part of God's plan to grant us an answer to the prayer of faith, that which he would not bestow, did we not thus ask. This is a summary statement of what you just see in the narrative of Scripture, in the story of the Bible. Um, it's part of God's plan. He has ordained that he will grant us, in answer to the prayer of faith, that which he would not bestow, did we not thus ask. We are participants with Jesus in this great controversy. So are the angels. So is the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we should see this to be the case. We should acknowledge this. We should accept it. And we should become people of prayer as we reach out to seek and save the lost, as Jesus did, and as we accept the Great Commission. Moving on to Monday's lesson, uh, the, 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 the title of the lesson is Jesus, the Mighty Intercessor. And the lesson points out how often, how frequently Jesus is found praying. He's the Son of God. He, according to his own words, is the Great I am, he says in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. And that's a reference to the burning bush where Moses encountered God and where God introduced himself, declared himself to be the I am. I am that I am. Uh, so Jesus sees that he is the creator God of the universe. Now, as a human man, right, fraught with with human limitations, right? Being encased in a, in a real, genuine flesh and blood body, Jesus, he is 
constantly aware, constantly aware of his need of prayer. And so throughout the course of the Gospels, we see Jesus sneaking away to prayer, to pray, going to the top of a mountain to pray, praying in public. He's not afraid, as some people are, of being spiritually connected all the time and acknowledging God all the time and being constantly watchful and constantly uh, prayerful. And Jesus, and this has been said many times in many churches from many preachers, but it just bears repeating because it's just such a good point. He's our example in all things. If the Son of God who says, follow me, was a man of prayer, and we see that he was a man of power because he was a man of prayer, then surely we should become men and women of prayer. And we should realize and acknowledge and recognize our constant need of God in praying without ceasing. We, we are showing God that we realize our complete and utter dependence upon him. Now, I want to make just a confession, I guess, or maybe just an admission on behalf of the church as a whole. I think we should, maybe this is just a personal confession, but it also, I think, is true for many of us. We don't pray as we should. We presume that because we are who we are, God is going to bless us and going to change the world through us. We have a form of determinism in Adventism where we just suppose, we just assume that all things will be what they will be. And because we are who we are, God's just going to bless us at some point. You know, if we just find that right way of doing things, if we just find that right book that can teach us how to, to reach the postmodern mind, well then, and, and only then, will we be, be able to win the world. But, but Jesus, right? Jesus used many methods in approaching many different people. And he knew how to relate to individuals at different places and in different times because he was connected with God constantly. Yes, we need to be developed in our capabilities. And yes, we need to, to learn different methods and approaches and become more and more refined and more, more and more developed and therefore more and more capable. But at the end of the day, it's not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And the Spirit is given to those who ask. Those who are in constant communion with God and who are led step by step by His Spirit. The Spirit in John 16, 13 is said to guide us into all truth. Now, we interpret that to mean doctrinal truth, which is fine. It's true. That's an accurate application or correct application of that text. But another application that's just as correct is that God guides us into truth in our ministry, into the right way of functioning and behaving by the Holy Spirit. He's our guide, just like Jesus was the guide of the disciples. And the Spirit of God has been given to us, has, is, sending, is, is sent forth from God to convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and to teach us and to empower us. But we, 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 can, be, we can stay in connection with the Spirit or we cannot. Jesus was always in connection with the Father through prayer, and, and I think we should be too. And so I'm exhorting you, I'm encouraging you, and I'm encouraging myself. Uh, to become more prayerful, more mindful of, of God. And the fact that we're in the midst of a spiritual battle, that's what Jesus was aware of that. He was aware of that. He didn't just suppose because, you know, I heard that voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and everything will work out. What will be, will be. No. He, you, by the way, you see this throughout the whole course of scripture. 
Just because God predicts something, just because God prophesies something, it doesn't mean that the people that he accomplishes his will through just kind of sit back on their hands and do nothing. No, they pray. They push forward in faith. They press towards the mark and they take responsibility and therefore desire deep and profound connection with God uh, for his work. Um, And so uh, Daniel the prophet, there's an occasion where he sees a prophecy in Jeremiah 29, and it was about the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the reinstatement of the Israelite nation as a nation. And he prays in Daniel 9 as if everything depends upon him. And so this is just another example, like the example of Jesus, where a person knows prophecy and knows the will of God, but yet just prays and desires deep and meaningful connection with God through prayer at all times. This is an encouragement to me. I hope it's an encouragement to you. Now, I want to read a couple verses here. Uh, Just read one passage here uh, from Monday's lesson that I think is just extraordinary. I think this is a powerful point that's brought up here. And then we're going to try to wrap up as fast as we can with the next few days of this lesson. In Luke chapter 22 and beginning in verse 31, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail, and you, when you have been reconverted, will strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to both go to prison and to death. Or in other words, Jesus, I don't need your prayers. I'm perfectly fine. I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. I know what I'm committed to. Peter is presumptuous. The Son of God is saying to him, the Son of God who he saw walking on water, who stills the storms, who raises people from the dead, the one who the prophets spoke about and predicted. He is the incarnate God of the universe, Peter, and he is saying to you, I know. Satan has demanded that he can sift you as wheat. He feels he is entitled to you. He knows you better than you know yourself, Peter, and you're more in his territory than you are in mine. But, but Peter, I'm praying for you. And Peter's response is, well, yeah, I know I'll go with you to death. It's just unbelievable. Wow. The lesson points out, and I think just so poignantly, so, so presciently, that, you know, Jesus is praying specifically for Peter. He realizes, Jesus realizes he needs to pray for Peter. There is a spiritual battle going on over Peter's soul. Peter has so much potential and can can contribute so much to God's cause. And the devil wants to, to stop that. He wants to He wants to quarantine Peter. He wants to quadrant him off. And he wants to isolate him and destroy him and sift him like wheat. Satan wants to have his way with Peter. And it doesn't matter how great Peter has been in the Lord. He cannot contend with the enemy. And the enemy will overcome him. And so Jesus says, I will pray for you, Peter. I will pray for you, Peter. I will pray for you, Peter, that when you are reconverted, you will strengthen your brethren. I wonder if to a degree, to an extent, Those words of Jesus would have kept Peter from utter and complete despair when he denied him and realized 
how weak and how uncommitted he really was. He, like Judas, could have hung himself because the guilt and the burden of guilt would have been too big, too great to bear. But he didn't. He didn't. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, the Bible says, Wherefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession or to offer himself up and his prayers up for us. So Jesus was not just interceding on behalf of Peter. He, he does not, I should say, intercede just on the behalf of Peter. He is ever living to make intercession for us. Well, this is good news. This is great news. And so we learn so much from this. Your spiritual people, you've got spiritual ears to hear. The Holy Spirit is speaking through his word. Guys, let's all say amen together for the fact that Jesus is interceding for us. He's praying for us. He wants us to be saved. And he's, he's praying specifically for our circumstances and our situation. We can refuse uh, to respond to what the Holy Spirit does in answer to Jesus' prayer, or we can choose to respond. Now, if Jesus prayed, we should pray for all of those in our sphere who need the Lord. And we should pray for each other, those of us who are in the faith of Jesus, because we all still need prayer and help and assistance. I think this is a huge problem with us as a people, is that we act as if, as we interact with each other, we don't need God and we're not in the midst of a desperate struggle. We suppose that we're just going to kind of waltz casually into heaven, kind of with a British stiff upper lip, you know, um, showing no signs of duress or no signs of trouble or difficulty. I don't see it like that. I don't see that that's realistic or scriptural or anything. We will, we will scratch and claw and fight the fight of faith. And we will have to lay hold on eternal life with all that we've got, all that is in us, to be found victors in the end not because we work our way to heaven, but rather because we contend against self and sin and Satan. And we need prayer from each other and, and we need to pray for each other, for sure. Now, uh, I'm just going to kind of wrap things up here, even though there's lots of cool stuff that we could consider. We've, we've, we've shared a lot thus far. And uh, I know that this Sabbath's, Sabbath school class is going to be an amazing blessing to many people. And I pray that the Spirit will be with everyone. But I just want to mention in brief just some, some things. Uh, the, the lesson points out Paul's intercessory prayers for the Ephesian church and for those in Philippi and how they were very precise and very specific. And so the lesson brings out, and rightly so, the Bible brings out that our prayers should not just be vague and general. Vague general prayers are okay. They're fine to preach, uh, to pray in the abstract. That's fine. But if we really care about people, then it's perfectly fine to pray specifically for them. If it's not God's will to answer our specific requests, well, then he won't. He's not in danger of just kind of being co-opted by us to do what's not good for other people. But uh, it is okay to pray specifically. There was a, a young boy. Uh, his name was Christian. I won't tell you any of the details surrounding this boy other than he had a tumor, I think, in his heart or Something was up with his heart, and we were praying for him here in the conference office. And this guy, he's a young little dude. He was just, just a little boy. And you know that I'm the father of three young boys, six, four, and two. And if my wife has her way, I'll be the father of four young boys. But pray for me. Uh, I don't want that to happen. 
uh, right now, I'm feeling too old. But this little boy, uh, Christian, uh, the surgeons had, had done surgery on him on several different occasions, and they had one more surgery to do to save this kid's life. And he'd been going through these health issues for over a year, and his family was up and down and up and down emotionally, and racked with fear at the possibility that they could lose their little boy that they love. And this is a close family and a really good family. And, and it was just tragic to see what was happening to Christian. And, and so one day we were praying, and as we were praying, I just couldn't help in the conference office here to just, just feel what those uh, that family must have felt, right, at the fear of losing their little boy. And I was thinking of my little boy's man, and I just broke down, and I was crying, and not crying like, you know, like, convulsively crying, just just pouring my heart out to God and specifically praying what I would want for my sons if my sons were in that condition, you know, and it was just so moving and so emotional that we were just all invested in this family and the healing of their boy. And it was just such a uniting event, a uniting occasion. And it helped us to, to prioritize life the right way. You know, we're always so stressed and worried about the most insignificant and superficial things and yet people around us are dying. They're dying. And Jesus offers to do heart surgery for them. And I think we should invest ourselves in them and see them as Jesus sees them and see them as Christian's family saw him and really pray specific prayers. The kind, By the way, I think specific prayers are the prayers that you pray when you are genuinely praying for someone because when you're really emotionally invested. So if the kid, like, sure, if the kid has a heart disease and he's going to die and a heart tumor or something's going on wrong with them that's going to kill him. Like, I'm going to pray. God, heal that kid. Give him a long life. The Bible says the thief comes to, to kill, to steal, and destroy. But Jesus says that I've come to, that they might have life and have life more abundantly. And sure, we know in the context of the great controversy that he's not going to heal everyone. Because if he healed everyone all the time, we would all be living forever in this present world. And this is a world of death, and, and we do all eventually die, and some will have to die before their time. We get that. And sure, we can qualify our prayers with God. If you see best, if you see fit to let this little boy go, and for this family to suffer the agony of that loss, then we'll accept that. But we don't want to accept it. And we know that in your heart of hearts, sin is not your, your ideal. And, uh, and you would have preferred that no one ever died. But here we are in the midst of all of this. And you're, you're willing to save people for eternity. And so if you don't heal the kid, then please save him for eternity. We can qualify our prayers like that. But at the same time, we can pray specifically. Save this boy's soul. Help him to come to repentance in Jesus' name. Help he and his parents to have the most deep and profound relationship ever. May he feel love like, like every little boy should feel love. And, and God, please heal him. We want him healed. We want his heart healed and we want the surgeons to do a perfect job. Bless those surgeons. And we're praying precisely, specifically. And I think this is what the lesson is trying to emphasize, that let's pray real prayers, authentic prayers that are specific in nature. And surely we don't know how to pray as we ought. We can trust that the Holy Spirit will intercede for us with groanings that we can't utter. But uh, with that being said, it, we, can, we can practically pray. And this is what the lesson is talking about there. Um, there's unseen powers at work. We see that in the story of Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel is praying for 21 days, roughly, three weeks. And there's a spiritual battle going on, according to this chapter. And God's people are in need of intervention. 
because uh, it's time for them to go back to Jerusalem. That's what's happening in Daniel 10, and Daniel is praying. And he doesn't pray for one day or two days or three days. He prays for three weeks. This shows an example of perseverance and radical commitment to prayer and to God. And after 21 days, uh, Daniel's visited and his prayers are, are answered. And the chapter highlights how necessary Daniel's prayers were and how they affected the prince of Persia and how without those prayers and without the intercession of the angels who were sent by God in response to that prayer, then uh, God's people would have not been going home. Um, I think this is just a powerful lesson and a powerful thought. Well, listen, uh, God wants to answer our prayers. And uh, we have to confess, we have to acknowledge that we don't understand the science of prayer perfectly, and we never will. God is God, and we are small, limited human beings. And as the Bible does say in Romans 8, we don't know how to pray as we ought. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray. Every testimony that we can find in Scripture on the subject shows us we should be people of prayer and always connected by God, always connected to God, rather, and always being led of God's Spirit. May this lesson study be a call to all of us to deepen our experience with God through prayer and to integrate prayer more into our missional efforts and not be so presumptuous and so blind to think that we can just do it without God. Let's not go into meetings where we plan ministry and evangelism and plan for five hours and pray for, for one minute. You know, I heard a, an evangelist say that we, we, we preach for 30 days and pray for an hour or two and we win a person or two. The apostles, they prayed from the time Jesus ascended until the day of Pentecost. This is 10 days. They preached for one day. And what happened? They baptized thousands. Now, of course, these thousands were the fruit of all of the seed-sowing ministry and preparatory work of Jesus. But still, the point is the same. Uh, they were people of prayer, and, and we should be too. God bless you guys. Thank you for spending the time that you have with me. It's great to consider Scripture. Um, remember us in your prayers here at the Sabbath School Department at the conference office. Uh, we work hard, and uh, we commit a lot for Jesus' sake. And, um, and we think that He's blessing. We think that He's leading. We think that He's been leading for the last eight years, um, may he continue to do so in an even greater measure. God bless you guys. Take care. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.